2 Peter chapter 3. And we're going to talk about today is how to be ready for the return of Christ. When I was a young Christian, there was a, a contemporary Christian artist. His name was Larry Norman. Pretty radical guy. He's one of the founding fathers of contemporary Christian music. If you need a Bible, you can just raise your hand. I'll just get your Bible. And Larry Norman, I don't know if you remember this song or not. Larry Norman wrote a song, and it was a song that DC Talk later reproduced. It was, I wish we'd all been ready. Do you remember that song? And in that song, he talked about that there's going to be a coming rapture where Christians that were ready, and the Christians that knew, knew Christ are going to be raptured out of here, and then there's going to be a worldwide judgment. And that's very biblical. And what, what we're going to see, that we're going to see Peter today talk in detail about that judgment that's coming to this world and how everything's going to melt, even the elements, at the end of the age. And so what we're going to see today is we're going to see how, how, to, how to be ready for the return of Christ, how to be living in such a way that we're ready for the soon return of Christ. And it's, it's, God's timing is perfect, too, you know, because we're, we're, this is the last message I'll do. We'll have one of the guest speakers speak next Sunday, John Miller from Southern California. And then in two weeks from today, we're going to jump into the book of Revelation. And so we're doing 2 Peter 3 on how to be ready for the return of Christ. And then we're going to look in detail for weeks on Sunday morning, verse by verse, through the book of Revelation that will outline the whole end of the age. And we'll see as we go through the book of Revelation, there's a timetable. Timetable is we're in the last days right now. Last days is the time of Christ's first coming in between the time of his second coming. We're in these last days right now. And at the end of the last days, what's going to happen is the church age is going to be over and we're going to be raptured out of here. That's talked about in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 18. It says, in a moment, in a twink, in a, at the trumpet's going to blow and Christ is going to come in the clouds and we're going to meet him in the air and we're going to see him face to face. And we're going to be, boom, out of here. Snatched up is the Greek word. We're snatched out of here at the rapture. And then there's going to be a seven years of great tribulation. We'll study this in detail when we get to the book of Revelation. And during that seven-year period, all the Christians previous to that uh, seven-year period are going to be raptured out of here. So this world is going to be without the church and the presence and the preserving influence of righteousness in the world is going to be gone because the church is raptured and there's going to be a one-world leader the Antichrist, who's going to come and set up his dominion on the earth. The one world leader, the Antichrist, is going to be a world leader politically, religiously, and economically. And he's going to run the whole world. And we're already moving towards that globally. Global uh, economies are already going in that direction. Even global religion. I don't know if you knew that. There's a real push for religions to all come together right now. Universalism, it's called. And that's going to come into full force during the Great Tribulation. Then at the end of the Great Tribulation, seven years, what's going to happen is Christ is going to come back. The second coming of Christ. And he's going to come on a cloud like he left on a cloud. And he's going to come on a white horse. And he's going to bl blow away the 200 million troops of the Antichrist. And he's going to set up his kingdom after he destroys the Antichrist and his 200 million troops. And he's going to reign according to Revelation 20 for a thousand years. He's going to reign upon this earth. He's going to set up his kingdom here on earth, fulfilling the prayer he taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come, what? Thy will be done, where? On earth as it is in heaven. He's going to do that for a thousand years. And then there's going to be one more rebellion of the tribulation saints that have kids. There's going to be one more uh, rebellion against Christ at the end of the thousand years. And then Christ is going to 
established a new righteousness, a new heaven and a new earth, which righteousness dwells. And right before he establishes the new heavens and new earth, there's going to be the great white throne of judgment, where, 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 where Satan is going to be thrown in the lake of fire, and all his demons, and those that are dead, those that have rejected Christ, final judgment, great white throne of judgment, great white throne of, uh, uh, of judgment, all those, all those dead people, those that have rejected Christ, are going to be, spend eternity in a lake of fire. That's what we're going to learn as we go through the book of Revelation. But today, we're going to see, we're going to see how to be ready. I'm going to give you six principles today, how to be ready for the return of Christ. Now, why is this whole return of Christ so important? Because the word of God has made it important. Did you know that of the 260 chapters in the New Testament, or I'm, I'm sorry, of the 70, of, of the, all the chapters in the New Testament, there's 260 chapters in the New Testament that talk about the second coming of Christ. Of, of the entire New Testament, there's 300 references to the return of Christ, just in the New Testament alone, and many also in the Old Testament. Paul, the Apostle Paul, he talked about baptism 15 times. Baptism is an important topic. He talked about baptism 15 times in his writings in the New Testament, he talked about the return of Christ 55 times. That's amazing. 55 different references. If you read the book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul has five chapters in 1 Thessalonians. Each chapter ends talking about the return of Christ of all five chapters of 1 Thessalonians. It was an important theme in Jesus' teaching too. Jesus said in John 14, 3, if I go and prepare a place for you, what did he say? I'll come again, the return of Christ, and I'll receive you to myself. I believe he's talking about the rapture there, that where I am, there you may be also, which is heaven. Uh, Jesus also said in Matthew 24, 37 to 39, for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, they were marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. See what Jesus is saying there? A lot of people are not going to be ready. He's not going to be ready. So I want us as a church to be ready. I want us to be walking in such a way and living in such a way we're ready for the return of Christ. So let's see how we can do that this morning. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 1, if you dare say amen. Here we go, here we go. Verse one, this is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way, notice, of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets. Who are the holy prophets? They were in the Old Testament. And the commandment of the Lord, that's Jesus' ministry and Savior, spoken by, notice, your apostles. Here's what he's saying, first of all. He's saying, that just as in the Old Testament they prophesied of the return of Christ, so in the New Testament with the apostles, they testified of the return of Christ. And what he's saying is the first thing, if we want to be ready for the return of Christ, is we need to be, we need to be awake. When it says stir up there, interesting word, it means to wake up. And if we're going to be ready for the return of Christ, we need to wake up spiritually. There's way too many Christians that are asleep in the light. And, and we're just, we're apathetic instead of on fire for Christ. And what did Christ say about that? He, he said to the church in Laodicea, he said, you know, I know your deeds 
And you're neither hot nor cold, but you're lukewarm. And because you're lukewarm, I want to spit you out of my mouth. See what Jesus is saying there? Wake up! And he's saying, when he's saying stir up, he's saying, if you want to be ready for the return of Christ, you better be awake spiritually. When my kids were growing up, one of my jobs was to wake them up in the morning. And they still tell stories about it because I think I traumatized them a little bit. And what I would do, especially Saturday mornings when they had baseball games or sporting events or other stuff to do on Saturday mornings, especially my boys, I'd like to go in their room and they'd be just, they'd be out like a, like, you know, just drool, out, right? And I would go in there and I'd flip the lights on and then I would sing the song from Keith Green, uh, Jesus rose from the dead and you, you can't even get out of bed. They still talk about that. I think they're going to do that to their kids to get payback. I don't know. But, but I would sing that to them. I'd wake them up. I said, Jesus rose from the dead. You can't even get out of bed. Get out of bed. Honest? Sometimes when I see apathetic, half-hearted Christians that are just living like the rest of the world, I want to say, hey, Jesus rose from the dead. And you can't even get out of bed spiritually. Wake up, man. This is not a time in these last days to be asleep spiritually. We should not be lukewarm Christians when the soon return of Christ is right around the corner. We should be on fire. Amen? I don't want us to be a bunch of milk toast Christians as, as Calvary Chapel Christians. I want us to be awake. I want myself to be awake. I want to be alive. I want to be on fire for the soon return of Christ. Amen? Amen? All right, let's do that. Let's wake up. Uh, we're way too often asleep in the light. And then he goes on in verse 3. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continue, just as it was from the beginning of creation. Now, interesting, what it's saying here is, is that a part of living in this world is there's going to be mockers of what we believe as Christians. And as Christians, we believe that Christ is coming back, and people are going to mock that. Another version says they're going to scoff at it. The word mock there means to take something that's very serious and to take it lightly. And to even make a joke out of it. And that's what's happening in our world today. We have a lot of scoffers, a lot of mockers. And, 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 and what we see in our world today is we see a lot of people just making a joke, not only of our Christianity, but our belief that Christ is coming back. I saw a picture the other day, it just it broke my heart because it's the epitome of a mocker and scoffer. Let's, Carlton, throw that picture up here if you can. This is the epitome of mocking scoffer. He said this. He's talking about the return of Christ. This is at one of the protests or something. He says, if Jesus returns, kill him again. And the name of his organization is undojesus.org. And then look at, it, look at the shirts, the, the hoodies they have, or the sweatshirts they have on there. It's someone throwing the cross in a trash can. I think I was talking to Pastor Steve and I showed him that picture and he said, if I was walking that street, I, I'd be praying for lightning bolts. <laughs> Bam! You know, like that. But that's the epitome of scoffing, of mocking, the return of Christ. They did it in the first century, they're doing it in the 21st century. And so the second thing that we see in our list that we've got to be, be aware of, we need to be wise in these last days. We need to be wise in these last days. We need to be wise to the fact that there's going to be people around us that are going to make a mockery of not only what we believe, but of the soon return of Christ. And now he's going to uh, build an argument against those that are mocking the soon return of Christ. Look at, look at what he says. 
Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all continue just as it was from the beginning of creation. Here's what the mockers and scoffers are saying. Hey, God's, nothing's going to change. Lion King, we're just going to have the cycle of life, and it's just going to keep going and going and going. God's just, God's not going to intervene. Nothing's going to change. Well, he's going to build arguments showing that God does intervene. And look what he says. It says, verse 5, for when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But the present heavens and earth, by his word, are being reserved for what? Fire. Kept for the day, notice, of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. Here's, here's what Peter's saying. The mockers are wrong. God has intervened. God intervened in the very beginning. In the beginning, when he created the heavens and the earth, there was nothing. And he intervened. He had divine intervention. When he took nothing and he said, let there be light, and light was. He intervened when he took the stars and he threw them into the sky. He intervened when he spoke the word and mountains came out of water. He intervened when he saw dust and he said, let us make man in our image. And he created man out of dust. He intervened. And he also intervened not only in creation, he said, but he intervened, intervened in, the, in the judgment of the flood. Man was wicked throughout the whole earth. Except for the family of Noah. Everybody was wicked to the point that God said, done, judgment to the whole world. And he brought a worldwide flood for 40 days and 40 nights and destroyed all mankind except for the family of Noah. God is a God of intervention and he will intervene again, Peter says, through worldwide judgment that's coming and we need to be ready. And it says this, verse eight, but do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, with the Lord one day, this is a thousand years, in a thousand years as one day. Here's what, he's, here's what he's saying here to the scoffers. He's saying, they're saying, well, it's been 2,000 years since Christ has come and he said he's going to come back. He hasn't come back at all. It's been 2,000. He's not coming back. It's been 2,000 years. What does Peter say? Hey, one day to the Lord is like 1,000 years and 1,000 years is like one day. What's the point there? God's eternal. God's timetable is different than our timetable. And even though it's been 2,000 years, 2,000 years to God is just like two days. And his return is imminent. Even though it's been two millennials, it doesn't mean he's not going to return soon because God's timetable is different than our, our timetable. But why hasn't he returned? <clears throat> why hasn't he brought worldwide judgment? Why hasn't he gotten us out of here and raptured us out of here? I mean, why doesn't he, he, he snatch us out of this filthy, cursed world? Why? I mean, and listen to this. God is omnipresent, omniscient. He has seen all the garbage that's happening in this world. In his omniscience, omnipresence, he's seen every single murder, every single rape, every single child molestation. Why doesn't God put an end to it? Well, verse 9 answers that question. The Lord's not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but what? All to come to repentance. The reason why God hasn't put an end to this is he wants more and more people to repent. He wants more and more people in his patience to come to him and receive Christ 
so they won't face this worldwide judgment. They'll be raptured out of here with, 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 with all of us other Christians. God's patient. The word patient, they're an interesting word. It's uh, macrothumos. It means long-heated. Isn't, isn't God patient with us? I praise God for God's patience. I don't know about you, but I'm a knucklehead. I've been walking with the Lord now for 40 years. And I still make mistakes. And I still do, oh, I can't believe I did that. And God's patient with me. And he patiently conforms me and transforms me and sanctifies me. And he's patient. But he's also patient with lost people. Macrothemos, he's long heated with this wicked world because he's waiting for more and more people to repent and get right with him. You know, I, I, as a Christian now, I say Maranatha, which means, Lord, come quickly. I'm ready. Let's get this thing done. But then i got to remember, he's not getting it done because we have a job to do. There's a lot more people to get saved before he gets his church out of here. Question. What if God raptured everybody out of here and began his worldwide judgment of the Great Tribulation 25 years ago? What would have happened to you? How, how, how about 20 years ago? How, how about 15 years ago? How about 10 years ago? How about five years ago? How about, how about a year ago? How about last week? No. <laughs> how, about, how about right now? God's patient. And he's waiting for more and more people to repent and get right with him. And we'll give you an opportunity at the end of the service to get right with God. If you're not right with God, get right. So you'll be ready and you can stay ready. But notice verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Now the day of the Lord, what is that? That's the judgment of God. The day of the Lord, Old Testament, New Testament, when it talks about the day of the Lord, it's talking about the judgment of God. And this judgment of God of the great tribulation is going to come like a thief. How does a thief come? Does he set a date with you? I'll be at your house, breaking into your house on, you know, in the next three weeks on this date at this time. No, Jesus said no one knows the day or the hour, not even the son. And when Jesus is sent by the Father to return to rapture his church and then bring worldwide judgment of the great tribulation, it's going to happen unexpectedly and suddenly. We're told that all throughout the Bible. The return of Christ for his church and the great tribulation and the judgment of God upon the earth, it's going to come like a thief in the night, unexpectedly. Not when people are waiting and saying, this is when he's coming. Interesting. Now, verse 11 goes on to our next point of how to be ready. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct? So, we've seen so far, if we're going to be ready, we need to be, first of all, awake spiritually. Secondly, we need to be wise in these last days to the scoffing and the mocking. The third thing we've got to be, if we're going to be ready, what sort of people ought we to be? Godly and holy. What is holy? Hagios in the Greek. Set apart for God's purposes. Different than the rest of the world. The Bible says don't be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. If we're going to be ready for the return of Christ, we need to be holy. Our conduct needs to be Godly, different than the rest of the world, and like God. We're told in Ephesians 5.1, we're to be imitators of God. We're told in 1 Peter, be holy, because God is what? Holy. 
We're to be holy. We're to be godly in these last days. You know, I think of the New Testament apostles. When they, when, after Jesus rose from the grave, we're told in Acts chapter 1, we're told that Jesus would often appear with many convincing proofs over a period of 40 days. And what would happen for 40 days after his resurrection, what would happen is they would be in the upper room and just praying or just together as, as believers in the upper room, and all of a sudden, poof, Jesus would appear. They would be, you know, on the shore of Galilee, and they'd be fishing or whatever else, and all of a sudden, poof, Jesus would appear. And he did that to them over, with many convincing proofs. 40 days, day in, day out, Jesus would just, poof, appear. You think that'd make you a little bit more holy? All of a sudden, poof, here he is again. And then when he ascended at the end of those 40 days, an angel said to those apostles, he said, hey, the Lord is going to come back on a cloud just as he's ascending on a cloud. And I believe the New Testament apostles believed within their lifetime, Jesus was going to appear again. And they wouldn't know, but he's just going to appear again on that cloud to take them up and snatch them up in the air to be in heaven. Can you imagine the holy lives they lived after that? Boof! There he is. There he is again. Better be ready. There's a, a Calvary Chapel pastor I was listening to speak one time, and he was from Las Vegas. And uh, he, he said that in Las Vegas, there's crystal clear blue skies on the desert out there where there's not a cloud for, you know, a whole day. But then other days, clouds would, would, would roll in, and that you'd see clouds, big, big clouds out in the desert. And he said as a new Christian, he was told that Christ was coming back on a cloud. And so he said, <laughs> just jokingly, he said that, you know, as a new Christian, as a baby Christian, when, when, when there was big clouds, man, I was living a holy life that day. But then when it was all blue skies, hey, I wasn't as careful. Because Jesus is coming on a cloud. Well, we should see clouds every day. We should be ready every day. Be ready. Be ready for the return of Christ by being godly and being holy. One of the quotes I read this week talking about this was from um, Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers that ever lived, said this, since the, all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people we should be in holiness and godliness. Christ is returning. The king is on his way. He's almost here. He's at the door. What manner of people are we to be? How can we sin against one who is so close at hand? The dissolving of all things around us suggests our looking way to eternal things. The motive for holiness becomes stronger if the thought is not merely that I will die, but that all things around me will be dissolved. It makes me look on eternal things with a more fixed eye and have a more stern resolve to live for God. That's a great quote. Our motivation for holiness should be motivated and spurred on by the soon return of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on in verse 12 and he says, we're to be looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements, verse 12, will melt with intense heat. This is the end of the age judgment that's coming. But according to his promise, we're looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, timetable we talked about. Remember, Christ is going to rapture us out here, seven years of great tribulation. He's going to come and set up his kingdom for a thousand years, and there's, there's going to be the great white throne of judgment. At the end of the great white throne of judgment, Here's what he's going to do. <clears throat> Redo. He's going to, do, he's going to create a whole new heaven and a whole new earth. We're told about that in Isaiah. It talks about in Isaiah chapter 65 about this new heaven and this new earth. Go ahead and put it up on the screen. It says, for behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered 
or come to mind. And then the next chapter, Isaiah 66, 22 says, For just as the heavens and the new earth which I will make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so your offspring and your name will, will endure. Now, question, what's this new heaven and this new earth going to be like? Answer, Revelation chapter 21 tells us. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them. And they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no longer any death, no longer any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Isn't that great? The new heaven and earth, there's going to be no mourning, no crying, no death, no pain. Wonderful. I'm looking forward to that. And he says, and he who sits on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, write for these words of faithful and true. And then he said, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes shall inherit these things. And I will be his God. And he'll be my son. That's what we have to look forward to. And that's why as Christians, we should not only be people of faith, we should be people of hope. Hope is the expectation of coming good. Christ in us, man. It's the hope of glory. But what I want you to see in these verses is the next thing, if we're going to be ready for the return of Christ, is we need to be looking for and chastening or hastening the soon return of Christ. What does that mean? Looking. What are you doing when you're looking? You're anticipating. With excitement. And as Christians, if we're going to be ready for the return of Christ, we need to be anticipating and looking forward to the soon return of Christ. New Testament Christians had a word that they'd end their letters with. It was Maranatha. You know what it literally means in their language? Lord, come quickly. You know, that's our heritage as Calvary Chapel, too. A part of one of our distinctives of our movement of churches is we've always been a church, Calvary Chapel, all our churches have always been a church that looks forward to the soon return of Christ. Actually, we started the record label, Maranatha Music, because that was, that was who we are. That was the personality of our movement is we are people that are looking forward to the soon return of Christ. Pastor Chuck would have a prayer service every New Year's Eve for decades at the original Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. And they would pray till midnight. And they would have prayer and worship and Bible study on New Year's Eve every year at Costa Mesa. And then they would end that prayer meeting, that worship time, when, when, when midnight would hit. And Pastor Chuck was famous for always saying, hey, maybe this is the year that Christ is coming. Maybe this is the year that we're going to be raptured out of here and Christ is going to return for us at church. And every year at Costa Mesa, he would end that new year or begin that new year by saying, this might be the year. No wonder there's 1,200 Calvary chapels across the country and hundreds overseas and there's people on fire all over the world that started with just 25 people because this movement of ours started with Maranatha. Lord, come quickly. We're looking for the soon return of Christ. But also it says we're to be hastening the coming day of God. What does that mean? Well, the word in the Greek is spudo. We get the word speed from that. And it means we could speed up 
hasten the return of Christ. How can we do that? By doing what he tells, tells us to do. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. We are to be people that are hastening the return of Christ and the coming day of God by getting the job done, man. And what's our job? To be fishers of men and lead as many people to Christ as possible. And here's what I believe. I believe that once the number of people that God has appointed to be saved gets saved, we're going to be taken out of here and we're going to be raptured and the coming judgment will come. But we've got to get that job done first. I think there might even be a person X. Person X is a person, the last person that needs to be saved before the rapture. Hey, by the way, if you're person X here this morning, get saved. Wouldn't that be cool? We'd be raptured right out of our seats, woo, like this. But I think there's one last person that God's patiently waiting on to get saved. And when we leave that person to Christ, done, hastening the coming day of God. So if we're going to be ready... Next point is, or this point we're looking at is this, is, is we need to be looking with anticipation for the soon return of Christ, and then we need to hasten that soon return of Christ by doing our job, being fishers of men and being witnesses for Christ. Amen? When it goes on, verse 14, therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. Isn't that what Christ was? Peace, spotless blameless, and now we're called as Christ followers to be people of peace, spotless and blameless. And regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some are, things are hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort as they do also the rest of scriptures to their own destruction. I want you to see something interesting. First of all, it equates Paul's writing with scriptures. This is still the first century, and already they were saying Paul's writings, his epistles, are scriptures. But another interesting thing is Peter himself says, in some of Paul's writings, oh man, I, he's a brother, but he's hard to understand. And one of the things that he's probably talking about is the book of Romans was a circular letter that was going around to the churches, incredible book, the book of Romans. But if you read Romans, there's a lot in there that you have to study to really understand. And so it could be talking even about the book of Romans right there. And then he says in verse 17, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, lest being carried away by the error of unprincipled men, you fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hmm. To him be the glory, both now and the day of eternity. And the church said, Amen. Okay, so he's closing this letter now by saying, if you're going to be ready for the return of Christ, you've got to be diligent, you've got to be steadfast, and you've got to be growing. And here, sometimes we, we're in this world and we see the, the wretchedness around us, we see the dirtiness around us, we see the filthiness of the world, and then we see scriptures like this that says, we're to be people of peace, we're to be spotless, we're to be blameless, and we kind of throw up our hands and we say, how can I be spotless and blameless in this wretched, filthy, cursed world we're living in. How could I be diligent to do that? It's just, it's, it's too big a ask for me to be holy and godly in this wretched world. No, it's not. You know why? Because you don't have to do it. You know what we have to do if we're be ready for the return of Christ? It's just be growing Christians. 
Be growing Christians. Be growing in the grace and notice the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And as you do that, Jesus says, if you abide in me, I'll abide in you. And you will produce much fruit. But apart from me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. But listen, with Christ, we can do all things. And you know what? Our responsibility is not to change ourselves. Our responsibility is just to grow. Grow. Grow in your knowledge of Christ. Grow in his grace. And have a growing relationship with him. You know, I have this bracelet. It's the gospel bracelet. And it's got all the colors on it. And it says gospel. And after I share the gospel, I've, I've had the opportunity in the last 12 months probably to lead 20-some different people to Christ. Personal evangelism is just through this gospel bracelet. But I'll go through the colors, white, black, red, blue, and then if a person's ready to receive Christ, I'll pray with them to receive Christ. And then after they receive Christ, there's one more color. The color's green. And I'll ask them, what do you, what do you think that last color green is symbolic of? They'll think, and I'll answer the question for them, and I'll say, hey, it's because you're supposed to be a green Christian now. Now that you receive Christ, you're supposed to be a green Christian. And I'll say, that doesn't mean you're supposed to be a tree hugger. It means green. What is green? It's symbolic of a plant. What does a green plant do? It grows. What are we supposed to be doing as Christians? We're supposed to be growing. Blessed is the man who delights in God's law and God's word day and night. And as he delights in God's word, he'll be like a tree planted by streams of water. His leaf won't wither. Whatever he does, he's going to prosper. That's the kind of Christian I want to be. I want to be a Christian that's a green Christian. I want to be a Christian that's just planting myself in God's word, meditating on a day and night, so I'll just not be withering, but I'll be prospering spiritually. And I want a whole church full of people like that, people that are just growing, man. Green Christians, Christians that are just by soaking in the sap of God's word and just growing like that tree by water. And, and prospering. Hey, that's, that's five points. What's the sixth point? It's not in Second Peter chapter 3, but I'll give it to you anyways. You want to be ready for the return of Christ? We've looked at a number of things if you're going to be ready for the return of Christ. Let's put them up on the screen. If you want to be ready for the return of Christ, you need to be awake spiritually. You need to be wise in these last days. You need to be godly. You need to be looking and working. You need to be a growing Christian. But here's the last one. It's not in 2 Peter 3, but it's from me. If you want to be ready for the return of Christ, what's the last point? Be saved. Be saved. The Bible says all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wages of our sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The Bible says God demonstrates his own love for us that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. But the Bible also says we have to confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and then believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. And if you're here this morning and you've never had a born-again experience where you've come to Christ and you've received Christ, make today be your day. You'll never be ready for this return of Christ and the coming judgment unless you're saved. And if you're saved, the good news, at least what my view of Scripture is, the good news is if you're saved, you're, gonna, you're not going to face this great tribulation. You're going to be raptured out of here. But if you're not, 
You're going to be left behind. And this world is going to go from bad to worse. You don't want that. So if you're here this morning and you get saved, get saved. Make today be your day.